By the standards of his day, Edward Everett was a very accomplished man. He was gifted at an early age, or people recognized the gifts that were in him. As a student, he excelled in logic, and he excelled in oratory, and he excelled in languages. And he used all these to do well in school, and that propelled him into initially into a pastoral ministry. But as he kind of grew in that and got moved in his thinking beyond just what it meant to be a pastor, he found himself gravitating towards first being uh, an academic beyond that. And then after that, how could he serve his state? He was from the East Coast. How could he serve his state as a legislator? And so in due time, he became a congressman, a senator, a governor. All through that time, people continued to comment on his abilities. And so, being a child of the 19th century, when that was especially valued, uh, when he retired, he was the natural selection for somebody to go speak at the dedication of a Civil War battlefield. And so he was invited to speak, and he spoke about what it meant to be at that place and to dedicate that ground for all the many men that had lost their lives. He spoke for over two hours. And at the end of that time, I think people, as they were accustomed to doing, nodded their head and thought it was great. And then after he spoke, the commander-in-chief of the army at that time, Abraham Lincoln, stood up. And he spoke for two minutes, approximately, a speech that was no longer than 272 words. And this is what comes down to us as the Gettysburg Address. With all its beauty and all its lofty... Uh, direction of our own hearts and our own minds to that which at that time was important and still resonates with us. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. You can still find that on the Lincoln Memorial and in other places. I had the privilege of visiting the Battle of Gettysburg not too long ago. And it is, as Lincoln said, hallowed ground. I didn't come really to talk about that. I think it, this little historical narrative is such a fitting frame for how we understand this passage from 2 Timothy that was just read to us. See, 2 Timothy is talking about what the value of the Word of God is. And when you think about that as a topic, you think about, my goodness, we could be here for quite a long time discussing what Scripture is to be about and how it works and how it impacts our lives and what we as God's disciples ought to be doing with it and how we should be trained by it and how we should be shaped by it and how it handles our fears and how it deals with our concerns and how it informs us about prayer, we could be here for a long time. But I love the text here in, in 2 Timothy that says this in chapter 3. It says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That phrase is to our understanding of Scripture, what Lincoln's speech was to Edward Everett's two-hour extravaganza. If we explore just that verse and the next one that follows, and so entrust these um, to, so that every servant of God may be 
thoroughly equipped for every good work, if we just focus on those two, we will come away with a, a sense of what God wants for us as his disciples. If you're just joining us, we're in the middle of a series on 2 Timothy. And 2 Timothy is Paul's last known letter to his disciple, his beloved spiritual son named Timothy. And two weeks ago, Cindy talked about Paul's loving, gracious, coming alongside of Timothy and said, hey, Timothy, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. I mean, I know it's hard where you are. You're in Ephesus, which has all kinds of strange gods. It has alternate deities. It's a place with foreign gods. It's a place with pretty smart entrepreneurs. It's a place with a lot of riches. It's a place that sounds kind of familiar to us, doesn't it? And Timothy is one who might understandably be a little intimidated. Paul says, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and self-discipline. Last week, we saw that Paul was talking about discipleship as we looked at the second part of the second chapter. And he said, these things, Timothy, that you've heard in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people will in turn teach them to others. And we saw that Paul is saying, he's giving essentially the church its orders. How does a church grow? How does it multiply? How does it increase? How does it spread the love of God to the areas in which it exists, to its local neighborhood and beyond? It does that very simply, very directly, by taking what it's learned and what it's experiencing and seeing if some other people were interested in that. Through friendships, through connections, through having colleagues at work, through living next to people, your neighbors. Very organic ways that God has us to do that. And through that process, we will find people that are considered reliable people that we can entrust that gospel message to. Because you know what we're doing? We're just being, doing the same thing that somebody did for us some years ago or maybe just last year. As God led us to respond, then we began to hear things in the presence of other witnesses. And so we looked at that last week about how we become these reliable people. Now this week, Paul is focusing our attention. He's focusing Timothy's attention on the power of Scripture. Like, you can't be a disciple. You cannot do what God wants you to do without being firmly rooted and engaged with the Word of God. All Scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Even that one verse could have a, an entire year dedicated to it. But we'll see if we can cover it in the next few minutes. All scriptures God breathed. How do, how do we really even begin to understand that? First thing I think that, that just occurs to me, who, scripture's alive. It's something that is always bringing, breathing life into us. Only living things can breathe. So when Scripture is God-breathed, we know that God is breathing this, breathing this into us. His Word is a Word that creates. He, he speaks worlds into being. And He speaks Scripture into being. Scripture, what, what is the benefit and blessing of that? He speaks Scripture into being so that we would know who He is. The Christian faith is a revealed faith. We can spend a lot of time thinking and arguing and rationalizing and discussing and philosophizing about who God is and, and how we should know him. But God says, I will tell you who I am. I will tell you, I will reveal myself to you. 
not all at once, it's far more than we can take, but bit by bit, covenant by covenant, historical situation by historical situation. First starting, you know, with, with Abraham, if you want to just start uh, in the first bit of the his, history of Israel and that covenant. And later, you know, is, uh, Jacob and the 12 tribes, and on it goes. It is a gradual revelation of who God is and what he wants. So we understand who he is. We understand who we are. That we are created by him. We're his very good creation. And that he loves us so much that even though we are apart from him, our ancestors really messed it up. And so we are in this place of being apart, of being estranged, of, of pursuing things that we think are really good for us, but God says they're really not. And he's always trying to bring us back, trying to pull us in, trying to do that, he does that with his word, which is essentially, if I had one phrase, it would be God's rescue plan. For us as beloved men and women. So that is what scripture is about. There's so much that is in that. But it is God breathed. It is meant to breathe life into us. It is. We're an Anglican church. Which means we, we have a, a connection to the early church. It's early formulations. It's way of even viewing scripture. We understand if you look at the church fathers. They were ones who were often going to Scripture to understand not only who we are, but how to come against those who thought that God was something else or that Christians should be something else other than who they were. They were wanting a different identity or different purpose in life. Much of what we have from the early church fathers are writings that they have against such ideas so that we would be protected. So all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is useful for teaching. God teaches us these things. As I said, our identity and our purpose, our hope and our future. He teaches us how to navigate challenging times, places of difficulty, places of unknown, places of mystery, places of, here, here's one that is such a, a rich heritage of the Christian faith and so hard to appropriate, ways to be forgiving of people who have hurt us, harmed us, stepped on us, said mean things, posted something on the internet, uh, pretty mean uh, at school, cutting us out of stuff at work. There's just a lot of ways that, that, that people behave. And Christians aren't immune from such things. How do we respond to that? What does God's word say in such situations? God's word says, be forgiving as I have forgiven you. God's word is always pointing us to him. If he points us to himself, then we can be resourced by him. We can be encouraged by him. That breathing, life-giving spirit will speak into our situations, speak into our lives, speaks into our hurts. All scripture comes from God. Its uses are to teach us, to rebuke. Sometimes, you know, God, we can find ourselves rebuked by God's word when we just are like headstrong in a direction that you know, every time we look at scripture, it's like, no, that's not a direction you should go. Yeah, no, I'd like to go. No, you can't go. We should feel and we will can feel the rebuke of scripture, the rebuke of a good Christian friend who comes alongside and says, you know what, that's not, I don't like that for you. I once had a guy, a college roommate who I was praying for something that in retrospect was pretty worldly. And I shared the prayer request with him. And he didn't join in like I'd hoped. Instead, he said, you know what? I don't like that prayer request. Like, 
why don't you like that prayer request? I like that prayer request. You're my prayer partner. You should be liking my prayer request. But he had enough kind of maturity, which I did not, to say, no, that's not, that's not matching up with what God's word says about that particular situation. That sounds a whole lot like you and not like the Spirit. So I kind of pushed and pulled a little bit against that, but ultimately he was right. And uh, by God's grace, I told him he was right at some point. But that's, you know, that we need people to speak into our lives. Sometimes God calls us to be that agent of rebuke or that agent of correction. Correction's a little bit different in that correction is we have an idea that we think God wants, but we're open to his direction. And, or sometimes we have an idea held sincerely, but it's sincerely wrong. And when somebody points that out, we're like, oh, I'm being corrected. If you're in the correction place or if, you've, if God's calling you to do that, remember we do it gently. So, we learn so much. The word, the word of God is there to teach us. The Word of God is there to rebuke us at times. The Word of God is to correct. And the Word of God trains us in righteousness. That trains us in the maturity that Jesus calls us to. Trains us in the knowledge and love of God. That we might not, we would never be the same. God's Word is about changing us. And that's a good thing. Sometimes we don't like to be changed. We like it the way it is. We're, we think we're doing well. We're ahead of the curve. You know, those other guys aren't doing as well as we are. We're okay. But when God has his hand on our lives, he will call us. And as we are faithful, he will give us more opportunity to be faithful. As we glorify him in a little, he will give us more to glorify him. That is the joy and the opportunity that is before us. But that is one that he, he speaks to us through his word. And he speaks to us through his spirit. The two often go together, don't they? Because when we talk about God's word, for example, we talk about the, we, it's the gospel of salvation. It's the 66 books, which we call the Bible. And it's also the word incarnate. It's Jesus is the living word according to the gospel of John. It's like, okay, so when I talk about the word of God, I'm talking about an encounter with Jesus Christ himself. His spirit is telling me as I look at that word, if I'm open to it, what I need to hear for that moment. Or what guides my thoughts. So sometimes if we pray and we're saying, Lord, what do I do? He will direct our attention to his word. And sometimes when we're reading his word, just as you're reading as part of a normal Bible reading plan or the lectionary, which we do in the Anglican Church, every day there's a little bit of scripture that we get to read. As we read that, we ask and we pray, Lord, what is it that you're showing me? So sometimes it starts with the word and the spirit speaks to us as we read. And sometimes we earn prayer in the spirit and he directs our attention to the word. It's hard to, def to define a dividing line in that. But that is part of what it means to be trained and to grow up into righteousness. So the question that that has for each of us is, do, do I fully appreciate its value? When I think of God's word like that, is it, do I see it with the value and the purpose that God has for it? Or is it sometimes just like a legacy, some, something of value that maybe you got from your, your, your parents or your grandparents? Something that's good and you like it, but it's just sort of off to the side. Sometimes we, if, we, if that goes on for an extended length of time, we, don't, we lose sight of how valuable that is. Like, what is that thing over there? I don't know. This is what shows up in garage sales sometimes. You know, you, you read from some regular basis about stuff that they find in garage sales. I, I was reading, uh, somebody found an Andy Warhol 
uh, sketch at a garage sale. It paid five bucks on it. He just sort of liked the subject. He was some sort of celebrity. Didn't know who did it. Eventually he thought, you know what, I'll get this appraised. I think they, he got something like two million plus for it at an auction. Another person found a plain white Chinese vase. Turned out to be from the Song Dynasty. They too got it appraised. $2.2 million according to Sotheby's. Some guy in England found a watch that he paid $38 for. Apparently, Sean Connery wore it in James Bond on Thunderball. He got $160,000 for it. Some things you pay money for really aren't that valuable. But um, we have things that God gives us, this treasure, this treasure of his word. It is the, it's a tangible, physical thing. It is just invaluable. If I had to take one possession, what would I do? I would take his word that I might continue in the righteousness that I know comes from that. I love the psalm and love the, that we read, that was read earlier. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. You hear the hope that comes from that, the help. I don't know where each of us needs God's help right now, but I know each one of us does need his help. And so when we think about that, something like Psalm 121, which captures our emotions, captures our concerns, speaks to our anxieties, comes up. And this is an example, just from our own lectionary reading, of how God ministers to us through his word. Or if you're concerned about whether your prayers are working, I, I, anybody here think you've kind of gone into extra innings on your prayer time on a subject? You're like, you know what? This game should have been over a whole long time ago. It's not ninth inning, it's like 13th inning. And I still don't have an answer to what I've been praying for. If that's you, then the gospel reading that Cindy read about the persistent widow, Jesus told that parable what? So that they would, we would learn to pray and not give up. So sometimes we need that comfort that oftentimes the Psalms will give us. Sometimes we need the encouragement to persevere that, that Jesus speaks of in his Gospels, in the Gospels. Just a couple examples from today's reading of how he uses Scripture. So let me just say this. There is no greater gift that God gives us than his Word. The living Word, the incarnate Word, the Gospel Word, the books of Scripture it is a gift that he gives us, and it is a gift that is designed to shape us, that we would never be the same today as we were yesterday, but that we would be a little bit more like him, just a little bit more in touch with his love and his purpose and his power. And if he, we do those things, if we see that as a gift and we use that as a gift, those around us will appreciate it as we let that scripture his spirit through the scripture work on our hearts. We won't be the same. We can't give a, you cannot give a greater gift to your spouse than a heart that is shaped and informed by God's word that speaks of his love, his patience, and his kindness. You can't give a greater gift to your employer than a heart that is shaped by God's word that speaks of wisdom and ethics and perseverance and not grumbling or complaining couldn't give a greater gift to your community or this nation that speaks of seeking the country's good, seeking the good of Santa Clara County, seeking the good of Mountain View and Palo Alto, of praying for its leaders, of championing those on the margins, of advocating policies that reflects the Lord's love and justice. 
can't give a greater gift to those in need that speak of God's generosity. Is more than ample provision of what people need and our ability to be a conduit and the praise and, and, and the praise that God will get from those who see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. If we let the scripture seep just a little bit more into our hearts, if we follow its commands, if we see that it is, ulti- it is directly and always for our good, because we're being more, made more like Christ, we will, we will let that breath that God breathed in it breathe through each and every situation of our life. It will never leave us the same. And that is a good thing. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the sermon podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.